Yonder is about more than finding a nice place to sleep. It's about cultivating a meaningful relationship with nature while taking time to relax with those who matter most. Book with Yonder and get access to overnight accommodations and activities that offer a connection to nature. Choose to stay at farms, ranches, vineyards, or other experience-based destinations. All you have to do is stay curious. New listings are being added every day. See where you can explore near you at yonder.com and get $100 off your first day with code SHEEXPLORES100. That's Y-O-N-D-E-R dot com. Book an experience in nature and find your yonder. Hey, this is Gail. Before we jump in, I just wanted to share a quick content warning for this episode. We discussed sexual harassment in the first half and eating disorders in the latter half of the episode. There are no graphic descriptions and everything's fairly high level, but both themes are discussed at length. There's also some swearing. Okay, on to the show. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. Yeah, is it good? Oh, yeah, you sound perfect. (laughs) Uh, Well, easy first question, if you could just share your name and your pronouns. Yes, absolutely. My name is Sophia Jin, pronouns she, her. As you just heard, this is Sophia Jin, a British-Korean explorer, entertainer, and creative, a member of the North Face UK Explorer team, and an adventure athlete for Osprey Europe. How would you describe your relationship with the outdoors today? My relationship with the outdoors is one of wonder and perspective. I mean, I've been obsessed with the natural world from a very young age and am supremely passionate about it. And I I especially thrive at the place where education and adventure meet. This intersection is showcased in the short videos Sophia creates that bring together her love of the outdoors and creativity. One of my favorite things to do is to to make my own videos about the outdoors and present them in a way that is funny and engaging and informative. My aim with everything I do is to inspire a sense of wonder in people about the natural world and encourage people to get curious about something and to follow that curiosity and compel people to, to look after the outdoors because people protect what they love. And my want for everything I do is for people to come away feeling like they're welcome out here. And also, you know, to remind them that a, a sense of humor can see you through a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely comes through in your work. Would you be able to describe just briefly a recent video that you've put out? Recently, I've been in lockdown in the UK, so there hasn't been much opportunity to get out, but I sidestepped that by creating this IGTV series called Explore at Home. Welcome back to another episode of Explore at Home with me, Sophia Jin. Where I just have picked things that I own that are interesting. I've got fossils and like meteorites and all sorts of things from adventures. Let's get into it. I got the serious science ponytail going, which means it's gonna be a good episode. The ordinary matter and energy that we know of and experience in everyday life is called baryonic matter because it's composed of- I've been speaking about those things and trying to make the, the information part of it really entertaining. Now, dark matter makes up 27% of the known universe and dark energy makes up the other 68%. That's an incredible amount of stuff we don't know, hence, Dog. Sophia's videos are fun, they're quirky, they're informative. 
we get to follow Sophia's curiosity, a quality that she values deeply. While she's enjoyed producing her Explore at Home videos during lockdown, she's also looking forward to what's ahead. I'm going to Scotland in May, basically to create this video series around marine conservation. And I'll be working with a team of local marine biologists to try and find cetaceans and their local seal colonies. I'll be talking to them about microplastics and that'll be really exciting and something different. I've never actually been able to do anything like that before. Oh, very, very cool. I love that you're taking your in front of the camera work from literally inside your apartment or home (laughs) and and taking it outdoors. Yep. Sophia is someone who digs deep. She doesn't just spend time in nature, she learns about it and she shares it with others. There was a lot that we could cover in our conversation because she has so many passions. But something that struck with me when she initially reached out is her emphasis on bringing our full selves with us into the outdoors. And that means we bring more than just our bodies. Here's an excerpt from the original message that Sophia sent me. Quote, If we're going to go into these spaces, we need to address the problems we bring with us, which does not ruin the escapism of the great outdoors for anyone, but in fact makes it safer, more inclusive, and somewhere everyone can feel heard and valued. So uh, one of the things that really resonated with me when you first reached out was talking about the idea of the outdoors not being a paradise. Would you be able to expand on that a bit, like some of your thoughts around that? Nature by itself is beautiful, right? And we love to get out into it. We love being outdoors because we love the way nature makes us feel. I think a lot of us view the outdoors as an escape hatch. It's where we go to get away from the rest of the world. The escapism of nature is something that's actually been with us for a really long time. I mean, I was thinking about this today and I remember in my literature degree learning about the concept of, you know, the green world, in, in even in Shakespeare, where the natural sphere is this place of fantasy, this stark contrast to the conventions of society. It's just so far removed from normal life. It's this world that lives in a whole other bracket. And I mean, not quite the same, but I feel similarly that today in many ways there remains an insistence on separating the outdoors from the rest of society, especially when it comes to human issues, by which I mean, you know, we view the recreational outdoors as a safe haven where none of the issues that plague the rest of society exist. And so abuse and harassment, racism, discrimination, inequality is largely either waved under the rug or delegitimized, is seen as not really existing in the outdoors. I want to jump in quickly and acknowledge that the modern colonial inclination to romanticize a pristine wilderness not only erases the societal problems that Sophia speaks of, it also downplays the indigenous tribes that have stewarded the land for millennia. Back to Sophia. For example, when we tried to have discussion about inclusion and how certain groups have been traditionally excluded and are often still excluded from outdoor recreation, there are some people who have a knee-jerk reaction and say, why are we even talking about this? You know, the the outdoors is literally open for everyone. Anyone can go to the trail. Stop trying to politicize it. And of course, sometimes those who ask are genuinely asking in earnest and really do have 
a willingness to learn, but sometimes there is just an insistence on, on willful ignorance. And a lot of the time, I think it is because people just don't want to think of the outdoors as a place where there is anything bad or ugly or wrong because it's their escape, you know, and while you can absolutely escape from elements of your own life for a while, you can't escape systemic issues. Just as Sophia and every person out there listening contains multitudes, so does the outdoors. But in the outdoor world, some of the many things it contains are opposing each other, for better and for worse. For better, lots of people take solace in the outdoors and love spending time in nature. The outdoors is for everyone. For worse, that often isn't what is represented in the media or who has access. For better, nature can be a place of healing. For worse, it's a place many people who work in the outdoors, women especially, deal with sexual harassment. For better, it's a place where community can be built. For worse, it's a place that can be filled with hyper-competitiveness and comparison. Sophia wants us to hold all of these things in our hands because we carry them all into the outdoors with us, for better and for worse. Would you be able to describe that kind of catalyst for you in terms of realizing that that sexual harassment is something that can follow you into the outdoors? Yes. I mean, I've experienced sexual harassment in my life as sadly, you know, pretty much all of us have. And sexual harassment and abuse is a widespread problem. It's so incredibly normalized in our culture, but you know, like, as I said, people don't like to think about the outdoors as a backdrop for these things. But the truth is many occupations that involve working outdoors in remote locations suffer from very high rates of sexual harassment. And that was my experience. So I was sexually harassed with unwanted touch and lewd comments by someone who I then had to work with in close quarters in a remote location and continued to be sexually harassed by them with unwanted touch and lewd comments. And it was so disheartening because I had really looked up to them. It was also intimidating and honestly a little bit frightening because I had nowhere else to go. Mm. I was stuck in that location with that person. There was no exit route. There was no guaranteed version of survival that didn't depend on them being there because they knew the area, they controlled access to resources. So it was a really stressful environment for me. And the worst part was the expectation that I would just deal with it and the lack of support I received from the few people I, I told in that environment. It was mostly men, but a couple of women who, who either didn't believe how bad it was or implied it was some kind of compliment or who minimized my experience, made me doubt my feelings, you know, made me think I'm crazy, I'm overreacting because clearly it's not that bad if they're not saying anything. So I was in denial about it for a long time. And I too was someone who didn't want to ruin the outdoors with my experience because I love it so much. But it was only months later that I realized through speaking to friends and professionals and others who had actually experienced the same thing and even from the same person that I had in fact been subject to this wrongdoing in this arena in which I had never expected it to occur. And so then I went away and I did some research and I was shocked to discover that, you know, sexual harassment plays out on the trails and the mountaintops like I had never imagined. And the fact that I was even surprised, I think shows me that I too had participated in this over-idealized 
vision of the recreational outdoors where you think it's so great that your first instinct is to doubt any mention of something wrong with it. Some of the research that Sophia did brought up the following findings, all of which are U.S.-based because she sadly couldn't find any U.K. studies. In 2016, an investigative report furnished by the U.S. Department of the Interior showed that women in the rafting industry had been victims of sexual misconduct for years. There was a subsequent investigation that found that resulting disciplinary action was either inconsistent or insufficient. The following year, in 2017, there was an internal survey by the National Park Service that found that 40% of the organization's employees have experienced some level of harassment over a 12-month period. And the National Park Service had a history of downplaying or ignoring these complaints. That same year, Outside Magazine ran a story on the sexual and verbal harassment of a female rafting guide. And after they had announced that they'd be investigating, you know, more instances of harassment and assault in the industry, that was met with quite a lot of comments. I saw myself, I saw it on the Facebook posts, like, I don't want to read this kind of shit in outside. Nature is an escape for me. Stop politicizing the outdoors, mm-hmm. which was, it was so disheartening for me reading that because it was just in the aftermath of me trying to find solidarity after realizing what I had been through. And Outside then released a survey to to better understand their readers' experiences with sexual harassment in in outdoor recreation and other outdoors jobs. And it was something like 4,000 people who responded and 70% of them and said they'd been harassed. And it just then struck me that it was so rampant in this industry like it is everywhere else. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there's insufficient disciplinary action because I think about it, how could there be? I mean, if the wildly inappropriate things that had been said to me had been said to me in a corporate environment, it would have been reported to HR. It would have resulted in a firing. I mean, I'd like to hope. But, you know, it it turns out there's not that much difference between the streets and the trails because who do you report to when it happens? I mean, I was in a remote location. Where could I have gone? The few people that I told didn't want to believe it. And and on the whole, I think people don't want to talk about it because there is that extra layer when you're outside of don't ruin my skate. I think like when people are resistant to hearing about things in the outdoors, I mean, there's obviously lots of different things going on. I think one of them, though, is that they just don't want to ruin it for themselves because this is where we come to escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the irony is that that creates that perfect environment for harassment. Yeah, yeah, it does. What hasn't been said yet, but also is a very strong factor, I would assume, is the fact that it's male-dominated. So, it, you know, it makes it a lot harder if everyone else that you're you're talking to about it also happens to be male. Yes, yes. I mean, I have, I have so many feelings about, I mean, it being a male dominated field. I think that obviously so many, you know, great people in, in the communities, but it does foster, I think, at least in, in the UK, I think there is a bit of this sort of, you know, what we like to call toxic masculinity. And I think it just does lead to an environment where it's so much easier for those things to happen and for people to not be believed or supported um, because the outdoors is seen as this traditionally masculine space. And especially if me as a woman comes along and is saying like, I think he did this to me or whatever. It's like, this is not even your space to be saying that kind of deep down. Yeah. 
Yeah. So where where it hasn't been a huge topic of discussion, like in an ideal world, what kinds of conversations would you like to be hearing? I think when it comes to the the media coverage, I think we need more awareness. I mean, we need to take the story seriously. The overwhelming majority of reports in the outdoors industry seem to go ignored or downplayed. There's such a lack of accountability. And again, you know, we don't want to think of these beautiful places as places with problems, but as long as we have the privilege of entering into them, we have to do the work. And that starts as simply as just listening when people speak. And I probably would like to say to anyone who's been through similar, I mean, I know I've sort of banged on about, oh, they didn't believe me, but I mean, you should tell someone, someone you trust. Mm. And I would want people to know and to myself then to have known there is no line which has to be crossed other than the subjective one of how you feel. So if someone is physical with you, scares you, makes you feel uncomfortable, pressures you, offends you with lewd comments, forces their unwanted touch on you, punishes you for not reciprocating and so on and so on. I mean, these things are are not rape, but they are predatory and manipulative and they're still wrong. And I say that only because I remember thinking to myself, well, I wasn't raped. So, and then I was like, how could I even say that? You know, how can I even, is the bar really that low Mm -hmm. that you have to be, you know, subject to the most wicked and deplorable act before even thinking that anything went wrong? It doesn't have to get to that point for it to be wrong. I mean, I would want people to know that as well. And I want, I would want that to be part of the cultural shift. Part of having this conversation is to remind ourselves that even if we aren't the ones experiencing harassment, everyone on a team should be watching out for each other and we should listen when someone speaks up. Or perhaps you're listening and you put up with harassment in the past, became jaded and assumed it's just part of the job. What would change if we followed the lead of those who were calling it out? How could we support them? I wish that it had been the case for me. And I, I yeah, I hope that there is that sense of being there for each other and the, the group acting on behalf of, of each other's interests as well. You know, these seem like such simple concepts. People shouldn't sexually harass other people. We should listen to others. But sometimes the things that seem simple things we want to take for granted, things we assume won't happen to us, or things we're embarrassed to admit have happened to us, often get left for last. And for those of us that fumble to find words in the moment and need time to process, the act of having these conversations before anything negative happens is a way to help us decide how we will navigate through in the future. How, how did you move forward from that? Like, how did you kind of repair your relationship with what you love to do outside? Such a good question because I have been thinking about it lately and I don't know that it has in the sense that I don't feel as safe in certain situations as I did before. And that really sucks. It hasn't interfered with my love for the sports that I do obviously hasn't gotten in the way of of nature itself because nature itself is never the problem. I do feel safe in the communities I hang out with. So my my climbing crew and and the people that I know and trust, I think it's more about going somewhere unfamiliar, somewhere really remote if it's for work. And and I have this big thing now about if it's like people that I don't really know that well or 
Oh, but at the same time, I mean, it was someone who I did know fairly well. So I'm not even really sure. I mean, it hasn't interfered with the nature and the sports, but it's kind of made me a bit more, a bit more afraid of some situations. I mean, this is, this feels like therapy. I mean, it literally feels like if I had to go to therapy, this is what a therapist would ask me. And I would just go <laughs> and tell you, I don't know. Cause I'm still dealing with it. I think about it now. I didn't think about it before, but now I think if I go there, will this happen? If I go with this person, will this happen? Like, what is the situation? And it's, um, I'm not sure how to get around it. Hmm. Yeah. There's not a clean end to this part of the discussion. No happy ending. But there's a hope that the more these conversations see the light of day, the more we can come together to make a positive culture change, safer workplaces, and a safer outdoors. We'll be back with the next part of our conversation after the break. I don't know about y'all, but quality socks are practically gold in my wardrobe, from hiking to biking and a little risky business dancing. There's nothing better than that perfect pair. Gail and I got to try out some socks from Minus 33, a New Hampshire family-owned company who makes a wide range of merino wool socks in their U.S. warehouse. You know, Tori, I haven't danced in the socks yet, but I did try them out. And the first thing I thought about is that when I think about wool, I think about how it keeps you warm. But these Minus 33 socks really showcase how wool can keep you cool and dry in hot weather. Yeah, down here in Virginia, it is so hot and humid right now, and I've been able to even wear these mountain biking and stay dry and cool and breathable to the point where when I take them off, there's a distinct line of where the sweat is still there on my upper leg and not where the socks were. It's amazing. Oh, totally. That was the first thing you told me about the socks. Keep your feet fresh this summer by visiting Minus33.com and find the perfect socks for your next step. That's M-I-N-U-S 33.com. You probably know Danner for their durable and comfortable boots that can take you just about anywhere. Recently, Danner has been asking, what makes us go there? For some, it might mean giving up a pathway of life to follow a passion like working full-time to photograph rare species. For Danner Ambassador and wildlife photographer Mo Heim, helping humans and animals live better together is what makes her go there. Morgan is a self-identified science groupie who works with researchers, organizations, and media outlets to create photographs and films that weave together the stories of humans and animals and connect nature's stories to a broader audience. Wherever you're headed, you can find the shoes to help you go there from Danner's most iconic women's styles and learn more about Ambassador Moheim by visiting danner.com. That's D-A-N-N-E-R.com. For me, things like climbing and hiking and all that, they're a means to an end, not an end in itself. I obviously love the feeling of working hard and overcoming a challenge, but I am not someone who is that interested in setting records or having accolades in that way. The reason I get outside is literally just to be close to nature. We're back. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Sophia is a sponsored athlete and wants to change the dominant narratives of what it means to recreate outside. And a big part of this for her is dismantling the culture of competition. 
So what are some of the ways that you strive to model someone who's doing the outdoor activities she loves and and excelling at them, but not in a way that is creating that culture of competition? Yeah, I mean, I love the sports communities that I'm in, but I also do know what it's like to have negative experiences and to have felt like a less valued member of a community based on my ability. And unfortunately, some of those experiences almost put me off entire sports just completely. There are are like a few people who think that, you know, a community, like say the climbing community is only designed for people who climb at and beyond a certain level, say like 513 plus, which some people know is 70 plus. And that actually doesn't make much sense when you consider that the majority of the climbing population does not and will happily never climb at that level. And so I think as much as having, you know, I'm not an elite athlete by any means. And I think as much as having those people who are at the frontiers of the sport and progressing the sport is a great thing. Having people who are not and whose motivations are different is also a really great thing. Having a broad range of experiences within a sport makes the community richer because sports communities don't exist only to support those at a certain level. And, you know, I think I've said this to you before, the whole point of a community is is to support everybody involved. At the end of the day, there is one common denominator between all of you, no matter what your skill level, and that is that you all love the same damn thing. You showed up for the same thing. And because my motivations are to invite everybody in and say like, look, you don't have to be perfect at this thing. If you just want to do it because you like it, like that's cool. I just want to bring everybody in. I think it's important to remember that not everybody does things for the same reasons. You know, people don't enjoy the same things. Not everyone who trail runs does it to compete to an elite level. I started climbing literally just because I like the feeling of moving upwards on my hands and feet. And I wanted to see a view from high up. And, you know, I don't think that makes me any less of a valued member of the community because there is nothing morally superior about, you know, running up the mountain versus walking up the mountain or high altitude mountaineering versus hiking. I think people should experience the outdoors in a way that makes the most sense for them. And because, you know, because my mission is to get people to fall in love with the outdoors and therefore then protect the outdoors, you want to welcome in as many people as possible and, and encourage people to, to, yeah, find, find their way of experiencing the outdoors that makes sense for them. You know, I also know that we have this increasingly competitive sporting culture and to, you know, add to that, we we live in this comparison culture with social media platforms that make it, you know, difficult for us to not compare ourselves to other people since we can see them all the time. In that culture, it's very easy to hold ourselves to an external standard, you know, be it from another person, an algorithm, a set of analytics and to lose track of your own reasons for doing the things that you love. And you might even find yourself waking up one day to think this just isn't fun anymore. And that sucks. And I've definitely gotten to that place where I'm like, I just don't enjoy this anymore. You know, at some point it felt like everyone was just achieving greater success at a younger age. And I was like, oh my God, next week the headline's going to be two-year-old sends V18. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't I do that when I was two? And I, I forgot, you know, what I always like to say, which is that, you know, you're good if you're having a good time. You don't need to be perfect, just willing to try. I've lost touch with that feeling of fun before. And, and when I do, I feel like I need to prioritize having a good time more often. Competitive sports are often measured by numbers, climb difficulty ratings, fastest known times, mountain heights. And while these all have their place, 
there can be a dark side to them too. When everything becomes about competition, things can get a little dull at best to very dark at worst. You know, there is shade to this highly competitive sporting culture we have. And in that shade, there can be some very serious health implications. And that's something I've been thinking about in more depth recently because of the light documentary that Caroline did. The documentary that Sophia is referring to is a recent short film called Light by Caroline Treadway. And it's about the hidden world of eating disorders in professional climbing, which I'll link to in the show notes. And while it's a film centered around climbing, it's about so much more than that. That documentary made me think about my own eating disorder that I had when I was younger. I was severely orthorexic, then anorexic to the point of needing medical help and going to hospital. And I thought I was fully past that then I realized I've been triggered quite frequently in the past couple years when I go climbing. And I look around and I know that if I were the same 15-year-old with the same vulnerabilities, those triggers in the community might have pushed me back into disordered eating. You know, I have friends who cut to a thousand calories a week or two before climbing um, on a big climbing trip. I've, I've heard climbers heading home from the gym jokingly telling each other to avoid the pizza tonight. I've seen the memes that say, would you rather never climb X grade or have anorexia? And we laugh it off without stopping to consider what kind of culture that's creating. That all contributes to a very dangerous myth of worthiness and also of dedication. You know that if you don't train hard enough, you simply weren't dedicated enough. And to be truly dedicated, you must be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, whether that's your happiness or your health, both. And those who don't are simply unwilling to go the extra mile. They just didn't want it enough. I think we're only just realizing how deeply rooted in the culture all of this is. You know, there are long established climbers like Beth Rodden coming forward to speak about exactly this, her experience with disordered eating and body dysmorphia in the climbing community and describing in her article for Outside Magazine, her experience with competitive thinness. And now we already have this in society as it is, this bullshit patriarchal social conditioning that relates size to worthiness, to which I have fallen victim, and and that affects all women in every way, making you afraid to take up space, you know, especially if you already belong to another marginalized group. And for me to see how that's translated into competitive sports, in eating disorders developing as a result of both a pressure to perform and a pre-existing cultural pressure in wider society is sad, but not without hope, because we are increasingly raising dialogue within our communities and changing the awareness surrounding this issue. That's exactly what light represents. It bravely furthered a conversation about an issue that I think a lot of people in the climbing community didn't want to acknowledge, only wanted to look out through their fingers or just didn't have the language for. And I think that prioritizing having a good time more often is also a big part of the solution. To just enjoy being and not necessarily pushing all the time. To give people permission to fail, to give ourselves permission to fail. And it's important that we do that in our outdoors communities because it filters back with us into every other part of our life. And then we get more environments that are encouraging and uplifting, where people look out for each other and celebrate each other and aren't afraid to start the hard conversations. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Thinking about that that documentary, Light, did it generate any conversations for you with 
climbing friends? It generated a conversation between myself and friends of mine who didn't realize that the comments they were making and the way that they would discuss their nutrition around me were harmful not only to me personally with my history, but also contributing to this culture that valorizes restriction and control. It was awkward at first because, you know, there was a bit of resistance. I think they felt a bit like defensive, um, but they were willing to hear me out and I made it clear that I wasn't pointing fingers at anyone. This is not a documentary about you. It's about all of us. It's for all of us. And, you know, it was it was productive. And I think up until that point, I just never had the courage to interject when people started talking about what they were eating to lose weight for this or that climbing trip. I just muted the conversation. And I think now we will think twice, not just to protect one or two people, but for the broader community. And I'm learning to speak more and mute less. This is another reason to have conversations like this to check in and ask each other if we're talking about subjects like mental health, harassment, inclusion, and comparison culture within our own communities and those we spend time with in the outdoors. And ironically, it can be those folks that we're closest to that it's hardest to have these personal conversations with. But asking for what we need and standing in our truth can open up the same opportunity for those around us. Sophia is just one of a handful of folks that we've had on She Explores from the UK. So I was curious about the culture of the outdoors there. Unsurprisingly, there are a lot of similarities to the US. Sophia shared with me that on the ground, it's fairly diverse, but that in TV and in media, it's very homogenous. That while there are some great folks in that homogenous group, there desperately needs to be a wider representation within the outdoor industry, especially in media. I would like to see us expanding our representation in outdoors media in the UK because right now it is very male dominated. I mean, all of the people I saw on TV doing the adventures that I aspired to do when I was growing up, climbing big mountains, hiking around the world, were white bearded ex-military dudes and it's still the same. And I mean, I loved it. I voraciously ate it up and some of them are still my role models, but it does present the extra hurdle because you're watching that as a woman or honestly any other marginalized group with everything that having been raised as that means, with all the ways that you were implicitly taught that you couldn't do certain things, all the little nudges that told you to see yourself in such a binary way. I mean, with women, we force them into boxes and labels where they are one thing and not the other. And a woman in a male-dominated field, well, she must be a titan of a woman. Oh my God, she is so strong, so much tougher and more capable than the normal woman. And it's like, no, uh, a woman, not a titan, not a hulk, not an anomaly. And I know people feel the same way. Others who haven't had the chance to see themselves represented in this space, who at some point realize that they've been taught to expect certain things of themselves, to think, oh, I don't belong out there outdoors, and to therefore even deny themselves opportunities to go when presented with them. And that's a combination of social conditioning, having inherited historic inequalities, and what you have, or rather haven't seen, of yourself in the mainstream media. 
I think the way that outdoors is represented on TV here just points to the problem we have, um, you know, with the lack of equal access to the outdoors. And that is so many different factors at play. It's the fact that the UK countryside is overwhelmingly white and many people of color feel an apprehension about stepping into nature, especially in more remote places where they will feel so visible and wonder how they're gonna be received. It's about access, living in the cities and not having the disposable income for transport and the right shoes and the right jacket. It's about certain minority groups having inherited historic inequalities and as a result, not having had the chance to develop a cultural habit of just going outside for fun. It's about outdoors education. So many kids are exposed to the outdoors through school, but that tends to be the schools in more affluent areas. And in the UK, you know, those are the majority participating in outdoors activities. So I think the media has a big role to play in authentically bringing other people in because they're out there. I mean, I know that on the ground in the UK, there are a number of groups like We Go Outside Too, United We Climb, Climber, that's CLMBXR. I mean, all these groups are designed to level the playing field and support people who traditionally haven't been supported and felt included in these communities so far. In the same vein, I asked Sophia what she thinks about pushing the narrative of change along, or how she hopes those with power and connections will use their leverage. I think as a brand or any other kind of media storyteller, when you're going to advocate for a marginalized group to be visible in the outdoors industry, authenticity is key. I mean, authenticity is always key. Fighting with your wallet is important. Valuing these communities by funding their programs and creating the spaces they need, asking them what they want, engaging in conversation, that is important. Posting a picture of a person of color on your website or Instagram is performative if it's not backed up by sustainable action. And the stories that need telling are ones where every character adds to the depth and breadth of our understanding about ourselves. Not two-dimensional, not token, not let's get Sophia Jin because she is the Korean chick, we can just stick on the end of the line of G.I. Joes, <laughs> but doing what that means, justice and taking care with our stories. Sophia is working on several projects to help cultivate this change, including a documentary to help showcase diverse experiences in climbing. She also just connected with an organization whose purpose is close to her heart. I've just started working with an amazing charity organization called Ellers in London. Uh, they provide safe houses and resources to help women who have survived trafficking create independent, safe, happy lives. They make sure the women that they work with have a safe place to live and food and access to mental health care, legal help, education and job prospects even after they leave the safe house. So we've spoken about how I can best serve them with the resources that I have access to, especially when it comes to the outdoors. I would really love to help provide a means of empowerment through sports. So hopefully leading some outings towards the end of the year, doing something in nature like coastal walks or climbing mentorships here and there, you know, to, to contribute to having this enriched life. And that's as much as I could ask for. Like what good are the connections I have without being able to use them? I believe nature is a fundamental right and I want to help bring people to it, especially those who've already been denied of so much. There are numerous benefits to getting outdoors and nature is a fantastic teacher. 
to be able to stand on your own two feet out there, to feel that connection, to feel so empowered. If you know that, if you've experienced it, you know how much that means. But at the same time, this is not about me projecting my idea of what a great day outdoors is. I'll be working really closely with Ellis and the incredible team there to make sure that we know who would benefit from this and what exactly they would benefit from. It's about helping people experience the outdoors in the way that makes the most sense for them. I'm just amazed by all that you do, you know, and all that you, (laughs) where your passion is taking you within this industry. And I also do want to underline that while I think it's incredible that you are in certain ways pushing the industry forward, it's also not 100% your job. Like your job is to show up as you are and to, like you said, just have fun. And, and model that yes. in the outdoors. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think I sometimes, no, no, not too much, but I mean, my brain is just like so chaotic. This is where like my being outside is so good for my mental health. It's something I'm becoming so much more empowered to speak about. I would never have spoken about anything like that to pertain to, to mental health or anything like that in previous years. I've really only been this year because I've been in lockdown so much that I've had so much time with myself Mm. and normally all that energy that I would just push outwards into doing other things has just come straight back like a boomerang into me and I've just had to sit with myself and all this stuff that I've never thought about like the eating disorders and how that's being triggered by the by some of the things that people say to me at climbing and and like the the depression and all these things it's like my brain is like this window with so many different tabs open (laughs) and there's music playing from one of them I don't know which one it is it's like chaos um but yeah I mean it's it's like during these meditative moments that I have outdoors it's on those ridge lines and those rock faces and down by the ocean on the trails I feel that sense of calm and still that greatest sense of clarity when I reach for the next hold in climbing or before I take the next step and I can't think about anything else I have to think about the next hold I have to be fully present fully focused and that ends up being a kind of meditation so I guess in some ways you could say those those are the elements that that do make it a bit of an escape for me We all deserve to carve out respites in our lives, to experience calm and connectedness, to feel a part of something bigger than ourselves. Sophia's right. No matter how we shake it, the outdoors isn't a paradise or a playground. But creating room for more conversation about what we carry with us when we spend time in nature, that messy stuff, those systemic problems, our vulnerability, our strength, all of it, It might mean another person can exhale while they're out there. And people like Sophia are leading the way so that someday we can be proud to claim a society that we don't need to escape from. Big thank you to Sophia Jen for sharing her insights. You can find her on Instagram and on her website, sophiajen.com. As always, where to find the guest and all resources mentioned are linked in the show notes and via the episode landing page on she-explorers.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Yonder, Minus 33, and Danner. 
You can find She Explorers on social media, our website, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at Gail Straub. If you enjoy listening, there are different ways to support us. You can subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. And if you'd like to connect, join us in the She Explorers podcast Facebook group. Music in this episode is licensed through Musicbed. This episode was edited by Julie Hotz and produced and hosted by me, Gail Straub. She Explores is a production of Ravel Media released on Wednesdays. We're off next week, but we have a special mini series launching on Friday. Until then, stay curious. <laughs>